On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Anything we can do to get people to come to this state is a good thing, and we need to do more of that. As this unique year of 2020 comes to a close, Iowa businesses appear quite optimistic for the start of the new year. Iowa's farmland values continue to increase, and you'll learn about one of the fastest-growing companies in America, focused on people-powered growth. This is the Iowa Business Report for Christmas Weekend 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The turn of a calendar page next week may signal the end of 2020, but not the end of all the challenges that came with it, primarily due to the global pandemic. However, a new survey of Iowa businesses suggests there is increased optimism as 2021 draws near. Mike Ralston is president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, which surveyed its members earlier this month. The first thing that struck me was how the results continue to be so positive in the face of a global pandemic that has caused issues regarding supply chain, employee health and safety, and a whole bunch of other things. Iowa manufacturers continue to uh, do well, and they expect even better things in the next quarter. What do you think is driving that? And I say this because we hear, Mike, that people in other parts of the country are in desperate straits, and I have no reason to doubt it but yet our state government has a a good reserve in the Treasury. We have a huge percentage of our workforce deemed essential, but what is it that lets Iowa businesses and manufacturers do so well compared to our brethren in neighboring states? Well, I think there are a couple things, and this isn't a political statement, but Iowa manufacturers tend to be more conservative. And by that, I mean going into the pandemic, they didn't have uh, large outstanding credit balances. They didn't owe a lot of money. They also didn't have a lot of inventory sitting out on some lot somewhere that they didn't have orders for. The fact that they now have orders for what they are making is causing a challenge on the other end. They want to make more, more product, more goods, get them out the door. But the fact that they've been able to plan cautiously, conservatively, has been a good thing in this case for our Iowa manufacturers. And the last thing I note is some of those supply chain issues we talked about relate to Things you and I have talked about before about other states that have had lockdown orders or have closed down things for even a short period of time and some for much longer periods of time. And that meant that their manufacturers in those states couldn't provide product to folks. So they turned to other places. And in many cases, those other places included locations in Iowa involving Iowa manufacturers. And so we certainly don't wish ill will on anyone, but that has certainly benefited Iowa manufacturers. Iowans tend to be again, not politically, they tend to be cautious, conservative. That is the mindset that we tend to have. And so for these folks, they were, as you say, not overextended, but yet they're still very optimistic and they're willing to put capital out there, even with an uncertain future for not only employees and workforce, but also, and this is something that that I really think shows it, the capital expenditures. It's one thing to keep bumping along. These folks aren't standing pat. Jeff, you're right. You know, I always say Jeff Stein is Iowa's best business broadcaster, and you're, you're making that point again. 
the fact that they're optimistic is one thing, but the fact that they're willing to back up that optimism by major expenditures, whether that's a new uh, multi-million dollar piece of equipment or whether it's a new uh, plant expansion, those are big deals. They're big deals for those companies, for their employees, they're big deals for their communities. And almost 70% of the people that respond to this survey expect to make a capital expenditure in the first quarter of 2021. There's no greater testament to optimism than that. And that's a huge increase, as I look at the number, from just the quarter before. 11% more are saying they're going to put forth a capital expenditure. Is that because of the time of year, or is it because of this optimism that we just keep talking about? Yeah, I think it's more a reflection of the orders that they see coming in or the orders they see on the horizon that they could take advantage of if only they had that extra piece of equipment or greater manufacturing capacity. I think it's, uh, you know, they wouldn't put their money where their mouth is if they didn't have an order out there they thought they could get. And if you're going to expand your operation, put capital into the business, it makes sense that you're going to need more workers and wow, this is really one of the most optimistic signs. The number of people who say they're going to increase the number of people on their payroll. Yeah, over half of those who responded felt that way, that they would increase their employee base. What I think is interesting about that is I think that there are some folks who took the survey and they would say, I would want to add people, but we don't think we can find them. So I'll bet the number is actually higher of people who want to add to their workforce. All right. Well, let's touch on that. It's a topic that we've talked about before that you have a number of members who would like to expand their businesses, pandemic or not. But the problem is they don't have the right workforce. How do you manufacture people to work (laughs) at these manufacturing and business operations? We certainly need more people in Iowa. A couple things are coming into play that are helpful. Number one, there's data to document the wages are rising in Iowa. And that's a a reflection, I think, of the marketplace. And that's a good thing. That ought to help to attract more people. We're seeing, again, some actions in other states that are leading people to think, you know what, my future's not here. It's not in Illinois. It's not in New York. It's not in California. Let's go someplace where our family can do better. And many of those folks are looking at Iowa. That's great. Anything we can do to get people to come to this state is a good thing. And we need to do more of that. During the year that this program has been on the air, And last week was just another example. In interviewing the businesses that we profile, they have good, solid foundations in Iowa. And their expansion is not only to other states, but much larger cities in these other states. And I think that makes the point that you've got a foundation here. And if you can't grow here, they have enough initiative to go buy somewhere else and instill the Iowa values there and get the supply chain going. But you wouldn't necessarily think that the small town buys a plant in a big city, but you see that in a number of respects. Oh, it does happen. I'm going to talk about a 100-plus-year-old company in southwest Iowa, Lyle Corporation. They make automotive tools and other things. They make some for their own brand, and then they make some for others. A great company, really, really well run. They have a growth or acquisition strategy, and for decades, they've acquired other companies move their operations to small-town Clorinda, Iowa, and continue to grow and do well. It's a real-world proof of what you just said, Jeff. There are a lot of great companies here. They have a great mission and values set, and they uh, bring those other companies here. Or like you said, they may acquire them, leave them there, but they instill their values in them and ultimately leads to a successful business. 
you have approximately 1,500 members in Iowa ABI and about half are manufacturers. Do you find with your conversations, these surveys, anecdotes, there's a distinction between the manufacturing element, the original foundation of what is now ABI, with regard to their feelings on business, as opposed to other operations that are, shall we say, non-manufacturing? Yeah, a little bit. And manufacturing certainly drives our organization and in many ways drives Iowa. But we do hear from our other members that, uh, you know, there are challenges. I won't say this very artfully, but I'm glad that we're not the Iowa Restaurant Association. The staff at that organization has done a fantastic job on helping their members, helping Iowa restaurants and bars and taverns stay open. But boy, do they have challenges. Iowa manufacturers have been deemed essential workers, as you noted earlier, so they've been able to stay in place. A lot of our members service Iowa manufacturers, and so they've benefited from manufacturing being an essential business, and they've been able to stay in place to serve them. So we're fortunate that our member base is related in that way, and and we've been able to weather this perhaps better than some. Well, this is the final program for this calendar year, and so I want to take the opportunity to thank Iowa ABI and you in particular for helping us get this program off the ground for this interesting year of 2020. I'm not sure when we discussed starting this radio program, we thought we'd be talking about many of the topics we did, but without ABI's strong support and foresight, we would not be having this program finishing year one, starting year two. So I want to make the audience aware of the involvement of the organization, but you in particular in having confidence in this project and its viability. Well, you beat me to it. Really, I wanted to say, Jeff, that we are so grateful to be involved and to support the work you're doing here. I I want to say it again for the record. You're Iowa's best business broadcaster. You tell the story better than anyone else. You certainly don't cover anything up. Uh, You don't give a pass when it isn't warranted. But you understand business and and educating Iowans about the great businesses that exist here is something we were grateful to be a part of and so grateful to you for allowing us to do that. Thank you very much. Mike Ralston, president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. We connected via Zoom on Friday, December 18. Learn more about the survey by going online to iowaabi.org. And again, a majority of survey respondents 55% say they expect sales to expand in the first quarter of the new year. Still to come, farmland value keeps climbing, and an Iowa-based business that has experienced three-year revenue growth of 689%. That's not a typo. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Two items from two other recent surveys to tell you about today. The annual Iowa Land Value Survey shows the value of Iowa farmland increased by an average of 1.7% in the past year, This despite severe weather, trade uncertainty, and of course the coronavirus pandemic. The survey was led by Iowa State University economics professor Wendong Zhang and was released on December 15th. It found the average value of an acre of farmland was $7,559. That's an increase of $127 since 2019. 
Farmland value was aided by low interest rates, strong demand for land, and billions of dollars in federal payments to farmers. And more good news, the latest monthly survey of bankers suggests the economy is improving in rural parts of Iowa and nine other Plains and Western states. But Creighton University economist Ernie Goss said the region still has about 95,000 fewer jobs than it did before the pandemic began, and it will still take many months of growth to erase all the job losses. The numbers from the current Rural Main Street Index compiled by Dr. Goss shows the overall index for the region improved to 51.6 in December from November's 46.8. Any score above 50, of course, suggests a growing economy, while a score below 50 suggests a shrinking economy. As for Iowa in particular, the index score rose from 47.4 in November to 50.2 this month, just into the growth-positive category. Iowa's farmland price index rose to 54.1 from 53.4 in November, consistent with the growth numbers from the annual Iowa Land Value Survey we just discussed. A bit of a hiccup, though, as Iowa's new hiring index for December fell to 50.3 from 54.0 in November. Over the past 12 months, Iowa's rural Main Street economy has lost 5% of its non-farm employment, compared with a 4.5% loss for urban areas of the state. Coming up, we'll tell you about a technology consulting company that was poised to help businesses succeed when the pandemic hit. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's business profile, we'll introduce you to Dr. Jeff Kaplan, Chief Operating Officer and Founding Partner of Lift Innovate, based in Waterloo. The company was founded in 2014 and recently placed number 681 on the Inc. 5000 list of America's fastest-growing private companies. Lift Innovate came about with the realization that the world of business was changing, that businesses that we knew and that we grew up with and the rules associated them were changing with the uh, introduction of virtualization, virtualization that certainly has been sped up in the last year with the introduction of COVID. And that's one of the key things, the phrase working from home, that's new to so many of us in 2020, but you were dialed in on this the better part of a decade before that. Yes, it's probably um, easy to think that COVID brought this on, but in fact, COVID accelerated what was already happening. And so virtually overnight, we had companies that were on a slow march to offering virtual, uh, having to do that overnight. And and part of the, the transformation wasn't just technical. It was the realization that in order to work with somebody and in order to be a good supervisor, you didn't have to sit them in a chair and watch them work, right? So it's a coming of age for for the employer and employee relationship. Is it a matter really that as part of that, we are really looking at results, we're looking at outcomes, we're looking at 
the desired end as opposed to being in the weeds of the actual process, like you say, someone walking down the hall and looking in to make sure somebody is working? I wish it were that way because that would show probably a greater, a more optimistic human nature. Mm. What we really saw was, you know, a sudden need that needed to be fulfilled. And then once that need was fulfilled and the sky didn't fall and the work was getting done and that we were learning how to work differently. And in many ways, you know, just like social media allows us to be in contact with more people, but it's not quite as deep. Uh, well, our work life changed too, because instead of just seeing somebody at work, you were seeing them in their basement or in the room that they've done. You saw their dog walk by and their kid come in during a presentation and that changed as well. But then somewhere along the line where they realized that this was not something they needed to fear, working from home could be embraced. Then all of a sudden you came along and realized that about 16% of the cash flow in American business today is focused on real estate. And if they could free that cash up, have less real estate, maybe not build that new building, but instead retain more staff, but have them do it virtually. All of a sudden that changes the economics and uh, people become a lot more flexible when the economics point to uh, support that flexibility. Interesting that you mentioned the human nature part of it. So what led you to be interested in this, and I'm going to call it a field of study and then application? Well, you know, it, it goes back to, to when I was a kid, you know, we, we had very modest means. And I used to say that our bank account my, was my dad's left pocket and our savings account was the change jar, right? Uh, and I knew that I wanted to do something, you know, and I wanted to do something in business, but I didn't know what that was. And so I saved up my money and I got this thing called the Harvard Business Review. And I thought, oh, this is it. If I have this magazine inside the covers of this, it'll tell me everything I need to know what they're talking about in those rooms in the corner offices in business. And I realized as I, I grew older, it wasn't just a child's image of some of the things that block people from being successful, but it really is a whole concerted effort that keeps one group in one place and one group in another. There's a different vocabulary. There's a different way of looking at things. And there really isn't a dialogue between the folks in a cubicle and the folks that are making the biggest decisions in the organization. There is a big big gap between the boardroom and the break room. And so I was studying this simply because I thought this freedom would allow us to create new ways of giving a voice to those uh, voiceless people that work in organizations. Many people have had the experience of being told they have to implement a certain protocol. It bears no relationship in the end user's eyes with what they do. The disconnect between the people who actually do the work on a regular basis and those who are at a, a much different level on the flowchart. And that can just really tear a business or an industry apart, can it not, that disconnect? Well, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And really what, we're, what we've come to in our research is the realization that our relationship with work is broken. Right. You know, I, I did a lot of work for a large telecommunications company based in London, and I would go to their corporate headquarters and I would talk to the executives there and I would understand the strategy. And then I would go out on the field and nobody had heard of it. Right. I go to talk to the receptionist in Singapore and they had no idea it existed. So the biggest challenge for this generation is how do we go from vision, really quality, strategic vision to action? How do we connect the boardroom to the break room? Mm -hmm. That's the key for this next generation. And now I think we've got the catalyst in remote working to sort of change all those rules up. Explain for me what social organic adoption is. 
Social Organic Adoption is based on a book that came out right around the turn of the century called the Clue Train Manifesto. And in it, a group of uh, gentlemen who are forward thinkers, they actually lived in the same block with Jeff Moore, who did Crossing the Chasm, who you might know. But these guys got together and they combined their knowledge and they predicted what the communities of the future would look like with the introduction of this virtual world called the internet. And one of the things that they predicted is the organizations that were going to be successful would be self-organizing, self-governing, self-perpetuating. I read that and I remembered how, how much it moved me and how much I tried to look at those and realize that these are the opportunities to sort of change the world going forward, if we could apply these rules. And one of the ones I found that was probably the most valuable over the years is the idea of self-selection. That instead of going out and evaluating somebody based on the school they went to or what their grade point average was, but have them self-select in to programs, have them raise their hand and say, I want to try. And we started to do some analysis of that and the correlation between the type of school and its reputation or your GPA versus those that are self-selectors, there's no comparison. The self-selectors always seem to overperform. So how could we apply that to promotions and job opportunities and who runs the next project and who gets a voice at a meeting? Because that gives the power back to the employee and gives us better results, which is all organizational leaders ever wanted to begin with. So I think we're starting to crack that code as well. Dr. Jeff Kaplan, co-founder of Lyft Innovate which he runs from his home base in Waterloo. We spoke via Zoom on Friday, December 18. You can see the complete results of the Inc. 5000 compilation by going to inc.com slash inc5000. And you can learn more about this Iowa-based company, whose 40 employees work all across the U.S. and Canada, by going online to liftinnovate.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program and, as mentioned earlier, the end of our first year on the air. Thanks again to Iowa ABI for supporting the program. Thanks to the dozens of radio stations across the state which put it on the air. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We're back again to begin year number two of the program next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.